as showcased on NBC's The Today Show, Episode 4, From the Tips, is sponsored by Remask. Keep your friends, family, colleagues, and students safe as can be with the highest quality masks on the market today. Use code COLIN15 for 15% off. That's C-O-L-I-N-1-5. For more information, go to www.remask.com. That's R-E-M-A-S-Q-U-E.com. Now, your hosts, the Rush Brothers, Scott and Colin. Welcome in, everyone. Yes, it is episode six from the tips. Scott Rush, Colin Rush coming to you from Park City. I'm in San Francisco. And look who we have with us. It's another Scott today on the program. Yeah. Scott Walker coming to us from, it, it, am I pronouncing it right? Is it Mamaronek? Is that where you're at? Uh, yeah, Mamaronek. Although I am actually back in the hotel room at White Plains because, uh, look, these, the U.S. Open, I love the U.S. Open. It is, it is. It's the national championship, right? It's so they love talking about how it is a global event. It is not a national championship. So I, I grant that, but it's my national championship. I'm a proud American. It, it's what I love and it's great, except for, you know, these are long days in preview. So I'm happy to get my feet up and, you know, watch a little Jeopardy and <laughs> you know, have a little dinner and then get ready to go when, you know, we start at 730 a.m. Eastern time, which for me is 4.30 Pacific, and it's way early for me. But uh, glad to be out, glad to be out, uh, you know, safe and COVID-free and and back at a great golf course. Well, that's it. You are in, so if people are just kind of checking this out, yes, Scott is at the U.S. Open. He's been providing coverage from the beginning of the week with interviews for usopen.com. You're going to be covering it all through the (laughs) weekend. And you told me a while ago the U.S. Open is your favorite major let people know why it is your favorite major. Because I like to see these guys tested. You know, I, I kind of like it when they grumble a little bit. And it's it's not that I like to see them go through any anything difficult. I just, it's so off, it's so hard to get them tested on every part of their, every part of their game. It, it's hard to do. They are, they are that good. So we're at the driving range, um, just watching some of these guys hit balls and it Wingfoot's an older property. There's not a lot of, you know, it's some, some, not a lot of room in, in some places. Right. So they're using part of the East course as practice facilities. Uh, and these guys are hitting balls over the fence. They set a fence out there at 320, and they thought that, okay, great. We can park cars behind that. What? Nobody's going to hit it 320 consistently. Except for all of them. Right. Except for all of them. So Bryson's yeah. out there, you know, he, trying to hit 200 miles an hour and just pelting cars. <laughs> so, yeah, these guys are really good. And it, it, even the, those of us that are around it a little bit, sometimes we forget how good they are. I, I just love seeing them tested. And, and this is a golf course that's going to test every part of the game. And uh, the guy who wins it will have earned it. And that's what Wingfoot is, and that's what the U.S. Open is. Yeah, it's interesting. I was talking to a friend earlier, Scott, who said, uh, oh, I first I texted him, and I said, wow, this place looks like it's crazy hard. And he texted back and said, well, it's going to make for some good TV. <laughs> I mean, if you like train wrecks, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but and I, I do think, you know, when I first walked the golf course, I got here, you know, I took a flight from San Francisco on Friday, had to go rush and get my COVID test before the uh, amusement park where they were hosting it closed down at seven. So, 
uh, ran right from Newark, went to the air, went, you know, went from the airport, rental car center, got my test. And I got my test result back by the next morning, actually by five o'clock the next morning. So I was clear to go to the golf course. So Saturday I get to the golf course and just walk it. And it took about a hole and a half for me to fall in love with it. Hmm. It is very difficult, but it's fair. There's nothing tricky about it. Um, you can see every, every part of the trouble. And I, I just, I just love golf courses like that. I love, you know, a, it's a tilling house. So, uh, you know, I, it, there aren't many tilling houses in, in San Francisco, except for San Francisco golf mm -hmm. club. Uh, I don't get out there much. <laughs> so, uh, I, I just think that it's a, it's just a unique experience. And I, I fell in love with it pretty instantly. The 10th hole, a little par three, uh, is phenomenal. The green plot complexes are great. And I know this is all kind of golf geeky for a lot of people, but the bottom line is this is Fenway Park, Yankee Stadium, Wrigley Field. Hmm. And not just is it a, a great setting, but it's a great test. And in a sport where it's the golf course that's going to test you, um, not your other competitors, um, this is the pinnacle. And I'm really excited to see it. Scott, you almost, uh, I'm talking to the brother, Scott, on this one. You almost had a chance to play Wingfoot? I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, I got a, an invitation last fall around this time, actually. And uh, a friend of mine out here in Park City invited me to come out. He's a member out there, I think, at Quaker Ridge and had a, uh, uh, an invitation to play Wingfoot as well. And I, I couldn't pull the trigger just because I started I started doing the math and I looked at, oh, well, it's going to, by the time I get back, it'll be like four days. I, also, it's going to cost this much. I can't do it. Man, what did I miss out on, Scott? Uh, the math, uh, yeah, sometimes you got to throw the math out. <laughs> I should have. I should have. <laughs> I, uh, I mean, Quaker Ridge, is, it's literally across the street. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and that's what, you know, I, was talk I haven't spent a lot of time in Westchester, but just talking to people, you know, uh, that are around this week, and they're saying, look, I mean, there's, uh, there's five, six eight golf courses that are, you know, are within three miles that are just wonderful. Yeah. And, you know, Quaker Ridge is one of them. Fenway golf clubs, another, um, it, it really is magical. It's a lot like the idea of Lake Merced, you know, golf course around Lake Merced, mm -hmm. um, where you've got in, you know, in a three square mile, you know, area, you got four truly great golf courses. Um, that Westchester has that the Hamptons have that and, very, you know, and I guess Monterey has that. And other than that, I, I'd be hard pressed to find, you know, other areas where you've got maybe in Scotland than Ireland where you have that many great golf courses this close. So it, it's special to come here and, and people love golf. And, uh, you know, you get that vibe. You get that vibe. And that, that's what I live for. Well, I watched your interview with Brendan Todd that you did earlier this week, and he brought up the grass saying that he's actually looking forward to that grass specifically. It's, it's like in his wheelhouse, but you've walked the course enough. You've seen what it's like. Um, and this is what we're going to talk about right now is just all us open before we get into your background and all the other things you got going on. But yeah. let's talk specifically about the course, the length of the grass, the rough, um, tell us through your own eyes. I've seen your photos of what you've been putting up on Instagram, yeah. how you think it's going to play out. And, and is a guy like Brendan Todd kind of tailor made, for that course? Uh, so I like a lot of things that Brendan Todd does, um, but I think uh, I, consistently a guy like him may not hit it straight enough, consistently enough uh, to be able to do it. He putts great. He's great from inside of 100 yards. And if you give him, you know, in 72 holes, if you give him 50 chances, you know, 
with a ball, you know, basically ball in hand, like in pool, you know, 150 yards away and, and, and right in the middle of the fairway, I, I'd give him a lot, a good, a good chance. But uh, this is just, it's just too hard a golf course to consistently give yourself birdie chances. I mean, I, I think uh, a really good player is going to have seven or eight times when they're really in a good position where they can attack. Mm, I, I'm going to back off that maybe six times mm. around when they can really attack. Um, you know, they might be in fairways, but pins are tucked. They, you know, the wind's off. Um, so when you're thinking about it like that, um, and Adam Scott was talking about the idea of double bogeys and he said, look, if you make a double, it might take you 30 holes to make it back, mm. you know, to make that ground back up. And so, um, it's going to be limited opportunities. You're going to, you want to have players that when they have that opportunity, they can capitalize. And when they don't, they can scramble and get it around. Um, I really think the usual suspects are here. Um, I, I, it's, you'd be hard pressed to bet against Dustin Johnson. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not only on a heater, but walking around and, and just looking at how he's carrying himself. He always looks <laughs> like he walks with, you know, the confidence of a guy with, the, you know, a wad of hundreds in his pocket. <laughs> um, but even, but he, it's just, there's just a calm with him. It's, um, it's interesting and, you say you know, that. It's, it's interesting you say that, but because yeah. recently I went back and I watched the, the, the 2010 final round at Pebble Beach. Yeah. And he went in yeah. with a three stroke lead and all the, you know, Johnny Miller, Dan Hicks were saying the same thing going in. Uh, this guy is just flatlined. You know, he doesn't get nervous. And on the second hole, by the second hole, he has a tri- he has a triple bogey. The next hole, he makes a double yeah. bogey. And all of a sudden, they're saying, "Well, throw that uh, out the door." But we're ta- we are talking about ten years later, and there's a lot to be said for experience. So I was able to be around him during 2016 when he won at Oakmont, mm-hmm. and that was, you know, we talked about him being a flatliner, um, but you know, th- th- from the moment that he got on tour. But that didn't mean that sometimes he wasn't dumb on the course. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I, I think sometimes when you're um, he just doesn't worry about he doesn't worry about a lot of things that, that paralyze a lot of other golfers mentally. Right. That's a strength until you get into a situation where your caddy has to say, hey, dude, we're, we're leaking here. Just stop. Mm-hmm. Stop for a moment. Let's you know, let's hit a three wheel, let's hit a two iron, let's get it back in, let's breathe for about 15 minutes and and, and get this back and, and right the ship. And he didn't have that before. Um, he has his brother on the back now, and that, that's been better. He certainly has his brother on the back during 2016 at Oakmont. And I think, you know, for some people, I would want to have a professional caddy on there. But, you know, for Dustin, I, I think it, it's worked better, the partnership with his brother. And look, he he got punched in the, in the, in the mouth, so to speak with that rules uh, violation that he had at Oakmont that they told Mm -hmm. him about and and his lead evaporated and he, he didn't waver there. Yeah. That's where it was. He wasn't just a flatliner. That's where he was mature. Yeah. And I I think that is going to come into play this week because everyone's going to get punched in the mouth. This is the Mike Tyson, you know, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the mouth (laughs) and the U S open, is going to do that to you, and he's withstood it before, and he's playing well enough that I think he'll be able to withstand it again. Is yeah. he your pick? No. Who's your pick? I, then who's I'm your torn. pick? I'm torn. My pick is Xander Shoffley. Okay. Um, and mostly because the greens are so uh, greens are so difficult here, and over the last three years, he has been the best putter in terms of strokes gained uh, in the U.S. Open. 
Um, <laughs> he hits it. He hits it long enough. He's long. He's not crazy Bryson, DJ, Rory long, but he's long enough. He's pretty accurate. He he just finds a way. And and you know he's a good San Diego guy like me, so I you know I, I root for him as well. Uh, but I I think Xander is is my pick this week. But it, it really is a fifty one forty nine call with with him and and DJ Scott Rush. Who, who's your pick? Oh man, I didn't even thought about. It. I was trying to think when you were talking, Scott, about uh, yeah, you know, a straight driver of the ball and i was trying to think who is the straightest out there right now um you know obviously john rom is 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 a is a pick yeah. that everyone i'm i'm hearing a lot of um yeah i can't think of a pick right yeah. now but xander sounds like a, a great choice just because it feels like to me at least that i mean i can't remember the last time he wasn't right there in the mix at, at any major yeah and i kind of build that off of what colin morikawa has done i, I see them as very similar players except Shoffley has more firepower than Morikawa has Morikawa is a uh, you know he's long enough certainly but I I feel he is more of a Greg Maddox precision type than you know than a John Smoltz flamethrower if I have to make uh-huh. you know ni- early 90s phrase <laughs> references right yeah. uh, but, uh, but whether it was Maddox or Smoltz or Glavin yeah. Every one of those guys figured out a way to get it, it was, done. Right? They, they were so, all good, uh, and, and right, and I, I think that's the way it is with um, with this golf course. I think there are multiple ways to play it. Um, I think you'll see some guys rise to the top that maybe you don't expect. Maybe maybe a guy who um, isn't quite as long, but he has a week where he's just hitting every fairway. Um, they're hard when they're twenty, you know, twenty twenty five yards wide. But maybe somebody catches a heater and does that. But Ultimately, over 72 holes, I, I do think it's a guy that has some firepower, puts like a dream, uh, and has some fortitude. And, and I think the guy, the two guys I was looking at um, certainly fit the bill. What about for the average player? We got to get into this. I mean, you're, you're walking the grounds. I think you told me last yeah. time when we were, you know, met up for coffee that you're like a 10 or so. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. I'm an 11 and a half. I, I was a 10. You know what? what? <laughs> I was a okay, 10. Okay, okay. But tell me. What would you shoot if you had to play that course tomorrow? So the average player. Okay. So so I played Oakmont, which Oakmont is probably the hardest golf course in America. Yeah. So I played that after the Open in 16, and I believe the number was 112. Okay. And I, I didn't play badly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I, I scored badly, but it, it, and that was what, what – that was really the first time I'd played at a U.S. Open course right after uh-huh. that was in that kind of shape. I played Chambers Bay, but Chambers Bay's greens weren't great. Yep. Um, they weren't great during the week. They certainly weren't great that Monday, yep. so I don't yep. really count that. Oakmont is always in great shape, and, and that's when you really saw, okay, this is how good these guys are because mm-hmm. Dustin Johnson drove it on a string, and it was the only way to unlock that golf course. Yeah, uh, and that's why that's why he won um, more than anything else. And so you you start to see um, how great they are. Because um, I'm I'm long. I mean, I'm not you know I'm not pro long, but uh, you know, two sixty, two seventy carry. I mean, I can I can I can hit it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are times when you know on Oakmont I was just off the green, just off the green, and I was like. I, I got to work really hard just to keep this next chip on the green. Yeah, um, I think that's shot, right? I think that's a good point you make too with you know to keep this chip on the green. I think you know yeah. I played a scratch. You you have a 40-yard pitch shot 
you, you're playing your local muni. You know, there's one that I look at and say, all right, well, this is going to be too difficult. You know, you, I just chip it below the hole and, you know, give myself a chance to save par, let's say. There, yeah. or courses like that, you don't often have that that ability to do that. Like as far as, all right, well, I'll just chip it up, you know, run it, run it up to the hole. I mean, the contours of these greens, there's so many things that you have to take into account. It's it's just not that simple. And these 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 shots around the greens, I think the mistakes are magnified so much. And a lot of times there is no for these guys, there is no other choice but to all right. Well, this is going to end up 27 feet away from the hole, no matter what I do. I've got to be yeah. good with you know maybe I can make that putt, but if I end up with a bogey, on to the next hole. Well, and that, that's the difference. That's why I love the U.S. Open so much because it forces guys to think like uh, like us amateurs should, mm-hmm. which is sometimes you just got to think about, hey, let's get the basics done. Let's not get let's not get fancy with this. Let's just play the basics, keep ourselves alive, and wait for our next opportunity. That's what the U.S. Open forces uh, these guys to do on a, on a hole-to-hole basis, and particularly a course like this. Yeah. So what will the winning score be? It's going to be over par. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's that's for sure. And we're going to get a different wind most likely on Friday. So uh, guys that are in the, the early late wave like Tiger, um, you're going to play in a pretty good conditions on Thursday. And then by Friday afternoon, we're going to have a, you know, the wind is going to kick up. It's going to come from a different direction. Uh, I don't want to say it's going to be a different golf course, but, um, but it will certainly change. There might be some rain as well. Although they've got the fancy, you know, sub air system there, so which basically will suck everything out like a straw. So uh, if when you're in a situation like that and they can control the moisture on the greens, it just means it's going to be wet and soft and slow getting to it, which makes the course play longer. But it will still be bouncy on the greens, and that's going to be so hard. So um, it's going to be it's, the course is going to toughen up, I think, uh, with this wind. Um, I would bet. I would bet three over wins. Okay. Okay. There it is. You're wearing your uh, your Stanford shirt, so let's give people some background, man. You're a Stanford guy. You're a Cardinal. Uh, went to school. Correct me if I'm wrong. With our mutual friend uh, Scott Reese, uh, who's the voice. Yep. Of Stanford men's basketball and Stanford football. Um, Tell me about going to Stanford, where you were, where you grew up, how you got to Stanford, and, and how your career uh, morphed into golf after uh, college. Yeah, well, I, I had always wanted to be a sportscaster. So um, I was 16 years old, and I had a, a, a English teacher ask me, what do you want to be? And I said, well, I'm, I love sports, and I'm a good writer, so why don't I be a sports mm-hmm. writer? And I figured out that TV people make a heck of a lot more money. So I was like, yeah, let's go ahead and try to do that. Um, and so I had, you know, I was the kind of kid who, you know, just didn't get B's. B's say I got one B in high school. It was in music. My best friend, uh, best friend in high school, the music teacher was, uh, you know, was his dad. And he gave me the only blemish what? because I played the side. I was a sax player and I wasn't great. Uh, you know, so that was it. You couldn't get an A unless you mastered the, you know, mastered the, you know, my instrument, which is sax. I couldn't, mm. I got to be, but it, that's that, it is what it is. So um, I knew Stanford was high on the list. Um, I went without ever seeing it. And I visited Northwestern. I thought, you know, I thought about that place, but you know, you get into Stanford, you go. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, as a family, we figured it out. 
uh, got it done. Uh, I walked onto the baseball team there, and three days later, Mark Marquis walked me oh, off. Oh, did he? Said oh, he should, coach. Oh, yeah. Come on. Said you should do something else. <laughs> and uh, I knew the moment that my baseball career was over, I was going to go to broadcasting. So I walked into KZSU and uh, started talking, you know, on television as well, or on radio or television, whoever let me talk. And, and that's really how the, all this started. And what was funny is, you know, today we had a, uh, one of my buddies one of, from my freshman dorm, she is a uh, person that works in human resources for the USGA. And she organized a Stanford reunion with a lot of people that graduated. So Nota Begay is in my class mm-hmm. and I, I've obviously known Nota for a while and work with him uh, at NBC Golf Channel. And so Noda was there, Joel Kreibel, who had been, mm-hmm. you know, a great player at Stanford, uh, you know, a few years after that, um, a couple other people from that class. And then Brandon Wu, who is in the field, who just graduated and um, just won on the Corn Ferry Tour, was there with his uh, with his girlfriend, who's also a Stanford, she was a Stanford uh, cross-country player. Okay. So we had a good time with that. And it's it's been a, a good network uh, to have. Um, but ultimately, I just, I, you know, this is, what, this is the dream of a 16-year-old me uh, to do what I'm doing now. And it's very fortunate when people have an opportunity to do exactly what they thought about. Um, and I, I don't uh, take that for granted. Do you talk Stanford sports with Tiger? I, I don't. I don't. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's, it was interesting covering Tiger because – you know, ultimately, there was. I was put in some positions where I had to ask him some tough questions, and he wasn't always a person that liked answering tough questions. So <laughs> I, there's a mutual respect. I mean, there are times when we're, you know, really good, and times when, you know, I'm that journalist that, uh, you know, that annoys you at times. But yeah. you know, we're all doing our jobs here, uh, so I, I, we're, I think we're all good with that. But uh, he is. I mean, Tigers, for a long time, I said there is no one better equipped to be Tiger Woods than Tiger Woods. Mm -hmm. And uh, he handled everything with grace. And, you know, he had a period of time where he didn't. And um, I think what we're seeing over the last few years is that he has found some grounding um, in, in who he really wants to be. And, you know, that's been good to see. You were Golf Channel for a number of years, ESPN for a handful of years and you were in golf. So, I mean, I have to bring this up, Scott, because everything that's going on in the world, in our nation in particular, you're one of the only black reporters covering golf, right? You've got Michael Collins out there who's just the funnest guy. If anyone's ever met him, he's the coolest dude. Um, But when you got into it, how many others were there? You know, there, there's always, there's always a, two or three more people than you than you think right so uh guys like cliff brown who you know uh, wrote for the new york, new york times for a long time uh damon hack you know who yeah. i've worked with at golf channel um so there are people that cycle through um but certainly isn't a lot yeah. um you can always you know fit us in a phone booth if you need to um and the funny thing is my degree is actually in african-american studies no really so that never that never comes in handy um, I guess until now, right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, in the golf world, 
it's interesting this week because there are a couple of guys that I was talking to, because I think we may put toge together a piece for usopen.com about this, but how the social justice movement is, is moving through, through golf slowly and it, you know, and in small ways, but, uh, but it's moving and it, it, you know, Charles Howell III is actually putting up money um, to help a, a tour called the Advocates Pro Golf Tour. Um, and so I've known the folks from the advocates for a long time, and it's, it's basically been a way to help young black players um, earn enough money to fuel entry fees into qualifying school and things like that. And, and Charles Howell's caddy had played in some advocates tour events and um, had met the guy who runs the advocates tour, who was a board member on the farmers insurance board. So playing the program at uh, in San Diego, he, he met him. And I think what's interesting about that story is, Three years later, when George Floyd hits, Charles Howell figures out, hey, I, I, he put some pieces together, say, hey, I met a guy that, that might be able to help with this. Mm. Um, I, and I, I think this is how we, you know, we move forward. We have conversations. Um, if, if empathetic people have conversations that allow them to see a different side of the world, things tend to move. And... I, I just think this is a, a really a question of humanity. Um, seeing someone as a human being that you don't know, haven't met before, as long as we do that, the world is going to be a better place and America is going to be a better place. And I, I think Americans right now are just really learning that. I think they were learning that, you know, for a lot of years, um, I think for a lot of years, America threw people away. Uh, we were a pretty efficient economy. Um, we were able to have the world's greatest GDP. I mean, all those measures that matter to macroeconomists, but have no bearing on the way people live. And so I think we threw people away. And I think we're understanding now that um, we can't do that. And, um, and I, I don't think we will for very long. I think we're going to find ways to, to have some empathy and better understand our fellow Americans. You ever had any moments as your career kind of progressed where uh, they were not so pleasant moments on a golf course uh, racially where you felt like people are, are looking at you like you don't belong or did you have you ever felt that Scott I mean outwardly yeah no I well here's what I'd say um, there are times that you'll realize people are talking uh, you know just you walk in the walk in the range right um, I will walk the range and you know i, I gotta make sure that if i'm having a conversation a lot of times i gotta initiate it hmm. Hmm. and that's something subtle right it's hmm. you know I, everyone you know I, I think i'm a pretty you know personable guy and i think everyone would say, say hey i'm he I, I like him but i the next step is oh hey how's your family what's going on yeah it's just it's just that kind of right. thing it, it's it's re, it's reaching out to everyone that you see um, that doesn't always happen. Sometimes that is less than comfortable, but you know, look, I, I'm doing a job. I understand it. Um, I think if people looked at it that way, they'd change up and someone was, Hey, how you doing? How's your family? How's your wife? Yada, yada, yada. So, um, I, I it's not a personal thing, but I, I think it's just a blind spot that sometimes people have. What do you got going on these days? I mean, you're you're at the open this week, but you're not with Golf yeah. Channel anymore. People wonder, might be wondering, remember Scott Walker? We used to see him all the time <laughs> in the last few years. Tell people what's been going on because it's not like you've just stopped doing anything. You've got some pretty cool things in the works right now. 
yeah, and some of those I can talk about. And some so of what can you tell and, us? And what you can talk about think, and what uh, you cannot talk about? Golf, you know, <laughs> I'll give you some broad strokes. How about yeah. that? Uh, you know, in terms of Golf Channel, you know, Golf Channel is going through a lot of transition. Mm-hmm. I, the, the door for Golf Channel is not closed to me, but I, I know that uh, there's a lot of the things that I was doing, particularly the European Tour events that I was doing. Um, they were hard. They were hard to. It's hard to live in Pacific time zone fly to Orlando to do the uh, to do the European tour events, which are usually on at about two or three o'clock in the morning, East Coast time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, that kind of wears on you. And so I, there were some factors in my health and I was like, hey, I got to I got to slow down a little bit. So um, but uh, there's nothing that says, hey, I, you know, uh, given the right uh, given the right timing. Um, I won't be doing golf for golf channel you know, at some point, but, um, but right now I, I really have been focused a lot on where the next steps are, I think are going to be for me. I mean, I, it's, I've done this for, you know, what I was 21 when I graduated 22, when I got my first, um, my first on camera gig was at the ABC affiliate in Beaumont, Texas. Mm-hmm. And you know, that was weird for a vegetarian from Southern California <laughs> to live in uh, in Southeast Texas, about, you know, 10 miles, 20 miles from the Louisiana border. Yeah, That's how you say I haven't it, heard about life. vegetarian <laughs> barbecue. I don't know, think that exists. There is no vegetarian barbecue, <laughs> no vegetarian boudin and none of that. So, uh, so it was weird. Um, but those were some really good people to me uh, over that period of time. Um, but, you know, that's been 25, 26 years ago. Um, so I've been pretty fortunate to work about as much as I've wanted to um, for 25, 26 years in this business. It's cutthroat. Um, it is, there's always someone that wants to do it. Uh, but I also think that the business is changing. And, you know, this week I'm working with a lot of, a lot of people who are social media influencers and people that are, um, they're really look at their business from a different generation. And I think, I think things are going to change a lot. I, I think that, um, you know, part of the reason that I did a lot of European tour events is because I wanted to do live, live broadcasts because, um, that's where it's where the money is. And I say that not, not just for, you know, what you can make, but it, it really is where the money is because that's cord cutter proof, mm-hmm. um, live events, yeah. drive television, yep. uh, period. And so, you know, I've done a good job of being around live events as much as possible. Um, I think the way that, that television sports news is going Boy, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I I wouldn't advise anyone to get into it if I were, you know, someone who was my age. Um, I think if you love it, you do it. But um, but I think the path that I took, which is, you know, go to a small market, keep rising up the chain. Go to I was at ESPN when I was 26. It was a pretty fast yeah. rise. Yeah. Um, and I I just don't think that path really exists anymore. Um, I think if you were to if you had an aspiration to do something and work at ESPN or ABC or some of, some of these big spots, I think you'd need to get a blog and, you know, and do a podcast and really build your own audience. Yeah. Um, it, it's the barstool sports model right. um, more than anything else. Um, you know, it's not something that, that I'm really interested in. Um, what I am interested in is figuring out, um, you know, I think this, I think sports gambling is a new landscape. I think, uh, I think particularly the way that um, that people use data um, now in sports, uh, I think there's a treasure trove of ways to use that to create content, to provide insights, um, and to make the viewing experience a lot better for people. 
And so that's what I'm working on, and you know, Stealth Project X, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that I'm, you know, that I'm hopeful that you know we'll start to see some uh, some of the beta testing that we're doing come to fruition over the next uh, six to six to nine months, um, and uh, and then we'll talk, you know, we'll talk again. But I, I do think that um, things are changing. Um, when I saw, you know, Golf Channel today had was talking about odds uh, with a sponsorship from I think it was Pro Point Bets. Uh-huh. When ESPN has something exclusive with Caesars Palace and DraftKings, when I'm when I'm in a uh, hotel room in a Crown Plaza in White Plains, New York, and I can't sleep in the middle of the night, and I see a DraftKings infomercial uh, with a young guy who I, you know, I, I've talked to a lot about how his career is transforming, and you know, and they're doing infomercials for sports gambling, you know, on New York local television. Yeah. That's that's where the sport is going. Um, that's where sports is going. That's where television is going. Um, and, and I think like it or love it, I like it or leave it. I don't know. I mean, I, 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 it's not something that I'm necessarily comfortable with. Well, maybe I am, but I think I grew up just not talking about odds. It was, you know, the odds were something that Al Michaels. Yeah, no, we didn't do that as kids. We were, football, we were all right? about the batting averages and the uh, shooting percentage yeah, exactly. and field goals. And yeah, you're right. Yeah. And, and now, you know, you have to know what uh, what a money line odds are. Uh, in fact, I wouldn't pick Tiger this week, but I was telling friends, you know, looking at the way he's playing, looking at the way the golf course goes, he was plus 4,500. I saw and the week was starting. And that's basically it's forty five to yep. one odds. Um, yeah, I'd take Tiger at forty one to one odds. Forty five to one odds. Um, that's something I wouldn't have thought about before, but it's it moves the needle for sports fans now. Yep. Well, Scott, hey man, this has been great. I mean, we made this happen. I know that you you're busy. You got a big day tomorrow. You got an early wake up call, and you're staying up late for us so we can get this podcast up. Uh, hopefully by midnight. Um, here on the West Coast, okay. so it'll be up online first thing in the morning for round one of the 120th U.S. Open, and uh, happy for you that you're out there covering it. We're watching your interviews, and, and everyone that's out there, follow Scott. You can uh, follow him on Twitter, at Scott Walker on TV, and he's doing all this awesome coverage for usopen.com this week. Um, follow this dude and, and watch his interviews. He knows his stuff, as you clearly just found out on this episode of From the Tip. So we appreciate you, man. I hey, appreciate it. Thanks for uh, rubbing that Emmy in my face behind you, by the way. I don't have you one You like yet. that? So I, I, I moved the desk. I'm like, what do I have on the desk that's cool? I got my one Emmy that's still sitting on the desk. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it a nice spot. There you go. You earned it. Good job. <laughs> I did, man. I did. Yep. Hey, Scott Walker, appreciate you. Like I said, and uh, we'll catch up again hopefully soon. We'll play around. Let's get out to Harding or, or wherever one of these days and, and tee it up because we're both – you might have to give me like one stroke per side, it's sounding like, with our uh, handicap. So that's pretty Yeah, the, you, you're trying to win the bet on the first tee. Good job out of you. <laughs> you got me. Thanks, guys. You, you no got dummy. me. Thanks. All this right, has thanks, been Episode man. 6 from the Tips. We'll see everyone again next week. See you guys.